Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am excited about what is going on today. I'm looking forward to our uh, time together. I hope you've had a good day and a good week. And here we are, Friday already, and the weekend is upon us. And I hope you get some nice relaxation time and time with loved ones and time in the Word. And it's always good to pray. And we're going to talk about prayer today with our good friend Justin Jepson. As you know him on Guy Talk is 007, but he's decided to uh, come on the program today and talk about his new position he has at Strategic Renewal. He's the national director there, kind of a big deal. And he was uh, a pastor and professor at the University of Northwestern right here in St. Paul. And he led hundreds of young adults along with other staff in the rhythms of prayer and the ministry of the word. Always glad to have him on. Justin, welcome. Hey, Bill. Great to be back. Happy New Year, by the way. I haven't talked to you since the I, uh, the calendar switched here. I know, and you got the <laughs> you got the whole uh, the whole time to yourself. You don't have to compete with any of the other guys on Guide Talk right now. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hopefully, there's not enough you know too many awkward silences. <laughs> <in it. laughs> I think we can cover it. So, just, so, Justin, you moved on yeah. from the University of Northwestern. We miss you, but uh, I know that you're mm. going to continue to be part of the, the community here. And also, yes. I'm excited about your new role, and I love strategic renewal, and I want to talk mm. about it, and I want us to yeah. even go through possibly Psalm 42 today. Great. Okay. So give us a... We can do that. G- yeah, help us understand what it is you're doing now. Yeah, well, um, strategic renewal, just for those that have never heard of that and don't know what that is, um, is a parachurch ministry um, that seeks to serve uh, the local church, uh, primarily around having... Um, the, the priorities of prayer, the ministry, and the Word. So it's seeking to equip pastors and church leaders to build a culture of prayer uh, within the context of the local church, which, you know, at face value, you might hear that and say, well, obviously, we're Christians or churches or pastors. I mean, don't you know how to pray? Shouldn't you be praying? And um, so sadly, the cases um, that, that research tells us and experience has shown forth that, that that isn't the case, that prayer is often sometimes relegated off to a program or a certain set of people, um, and sometimes it's kind of the way that we maybe begin and open meetings um, or begin and open services, but um, really teaching uh, the core priority and unchanging reality of that of that principle of um, you know recognizing that prayer isn't something that we just do um, within the context of the ministry that we're actually supposed to minister out of the context of prayer, and so we see that modeled in the life of Jesus first and foremost, um, but then we see that throughout the New Testament. And throughout the history of the church. And so um, strategic renewal really has two focuses of uh, recognizing how we can equip pastors in particular, but also lay leaders and really the person in the pew uh, to help bring uh, renewal and leadership revitalization. So, Justin, I know strategic renewal's goal is scripture-fed, spirit-led. Mm-hmm. Did, did I say that yeah. correctly? Yeah, well, you kind of the the phrase of you know praying like Jesus prayed is scripture fed, spirit led, right. worship based prayer. Right. 
Yeah, um, which to, to parse that out, I mean, to be Scripture-fed, um, you know, recognizing that prayer, um, the best way to talk and to commune with God is, is from His own Word. And, you know, I, I love the way, I believe as Eugene Peterson put it this way, that prayer is first and foremost answering speech. Um, we God is the initiator, and we are the responders. And so really having that idea of beginning every time of prayer with an open Bible. And, you know, for me personally, Bill, when I first encountered the ministry of strategic renewal, I mean, I viewed, you know, prayer and Bible study kind of as two separate disciplines. I'll read my Bible and then I'll pray or I'll pray and then I'll read my Bible. And, and they, there was some overlap, but really, um, I, I believe pr- to the degree in which we're going to pray like Jesus prayed will be to the degree in which we pray scripture. And so that's how to sustain uh, a time of prayer, recognizing that I'm not just talking to God, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from him first and foremost, and I'm responding to the revelation of who he is in the word. Um, and if I'm basing scripture, if it's scripture fed, um, it's, it's going to be spirit led. <laughs> and that idea that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the authors of scripture, um, because of the reality of the gospel now lives and dwells inside of me. And so I actually have a, you know, a personal prayer tutor, so to speak, uh, teaching me and guiding me and revealing to me um, the person and the ministry and the work and the glory of Jesus. Um, and then that leads us to that place of our foundation of worship, foundation of all of praying is, is, is one of worship. And so, um, so that's kind of the, the parse out what that, what that phrase means practically. So as I open a passage of Scripture, I'm allowing God to guide the conversation, the Holy Spirit's guiding and directing me. And really for prayer to be worship-based is to recognize first and foremost in prayer who I'm praying to and who I get to commune with. And um, and so that, that really changes the whole trajectory of praying um, from the way that I was taught and the way that I grew up, really, which is I bring my request to God. I have a prayer list and I have a long list and I wait for God and I document my answers and I that type, you know, my prayer, and again, that's a, we are called, we're commanded to bring our request to God, but that's actually not the foundation or the basis of our praying. It's an outflow and outworking from the foundation of worship. Mm-hmm. Your um, leader, Daniel Henderson, Pastor Daniel Henderson, I've, ha- I've had him on the show before, and I've known Daniel for yeah. years. Um, yeah. He said that usually the person that starts the conversation controls it. And I that's thought, right. huh, that's so interesting. Yeah. If you take God's word and and speak it to him you're putting him in in control of the conversation and when you talk about the scripture fed spirit led worship filled prayer and this is true cuz i've practiced this myself at the encouragement of daniel you get to the point where you spend all this time praying back to to the lord from scripture and by the time you get to your own personal request you can hardly even remember what some of them, some of them are yeah, that's right. Well, and I don't know about you, but I'm sure you never get distracted in prayer, right? I mean, you have a laser-like focus of course. when you go to the Lord in prayer, yeah, right? Of course. Um, yeah, but for normal people like me and everyone else, I get I get distracted um, so easily. And and I tell you, if I if I go to the Lord first and foremost with just requests and all of my needs and wants, um, and again, and not that that's that's bad. It's just not the best place to start. But if I go to the Lord. Um, from a foundation and a basis of who he is and how his re- his word reveals to me his praiseworthy characteristics and attributes, I, I can tell you that I will go into praying for requests with a renewed faith and with a consistency and with a focus because now 
again, I first have recognized who I'm praying to um, and who I'm bringing my request before. And I pray with such greater faith for my request, not just for my request, but also as I intercede for others when I begin from that basis and foundation of worship. That's so good. And if we spend time worshiping, speaking Scripture in our hearts, meditating on it, and that sets the 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 the, the place where we start in prayer, I, mm-hmm. I almost guarantee and promise your prayer life is going to be much richer. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I and I, I think of uh, you know um, the the biography. If you if, if readers are familiar with with George Mueller, um, and he, you know, uh, writing from a couple hundred years ago, and and um, he he talked about. I mean, he really he started, um, you know, an orphanage and and didn't raise any support, just just prayed. And I mean, he raised support through prayer. <laughs> Um, but it was amazing um, just the, the impact that, that prayer brought forth in his life. And um, he, he talks about how he used to pray and then read and be really, really distracted and, and would end up falling asleep and wander off. And, and then he would try to read the Word, and then he'd kind of get, get distracted and then wander off. But he said when you he, when he put them together and you really slowly, prayerfully read Scripture. So I like to say, don't just read Scripture, pray read it. Um, he he said that he found he was able to sustain hours of communion with God by putting those two together. And I think that's the way that God meant it and intended it to be, that, you know, our Bible reading is meant to lead us into an encounter with the author of Scripture itself. And that's how, and prayer does that. Mm-hmm. And Justin, your point is so well taken because you said earlier that you sometimes had it compartmentalized. You had your yeah. Bible reading time and then your prayer time. But you've, mm-hmm. you've learned to put them together now in a way which is much more intentional, and your prayer life has become richer and more worshipful, and I think that's the kind of fellowship God wants with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I'm going to ask you, uh, Take I'll take a break right now, but then when I come back, I want to maybe have you walk us through, uh, I know you've done a, a, a prayer guide on Psalm 42, maybe you could walk us through that just to help us understand exactly what goes behind all this. Is that good? Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds great. Good. Justin Jepson is my guest. Of course, you know him as 007 from Guy Talk, but we'll take a short break and be right back. If you get your Bibles open to Psalm 42, I think it's going to be a very rich experience for you when we come back. back with my friend Justin Jepson. He is the National Director at Strategic Renewal. You can go to strategicrenewal.com to learn more about this amazing prayer ministry. A couple of questions from listeners, Justin, before we get to Psalm 42. Uh, Is Justin wearing a tuxedo right now? And the answer is probably no. I'll answer that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, underneath my sweater, I've always got to be prepared. Of course, of course. And the other one is, what is the best way to emulate this kind of prayer with young children? I know you have young kids yourself. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, That's, you know, that's something I'm honestly still working through and figuring out. Um, And, but I, you know, my, I'll just an example with my oldest, which is my son, who's only four and a half. 
Um, and as we pray, I try to make prayer just a, a really, um, you know, just a natural part of the day. So while we're in the car, you know, not just around the dinner table, while we're playing, you know, um, I like just to just to draw attention back to um, back to God. And so um, I know, you know, and I've I, I I'm trying to remember the author who wrote this, but he he said that if if the if the only words that ever come out of our mouth in prayer is thank you, it would be sufficient. And, and so, I've, uh, again, maybe intentionally, there's some intention behind this, but I think my, my son just picking up on this, of just not only the way that I pray or the way that my wife prays, um, but the first thing that he says when he prays is, thank you. And, uh, and, and I love it. He thanks God for <laughs> everything. He thanks God for his toys. He thanks God for food, for family, the fact that he can run faster than his younger sister. <laughs> you know, it's just hilarious yeah. what comes out you know, of, of him. But I, um, but I always just say if he thinks something's really, really cool or awesome, like outside or something in nature or a certain animal, like he loves animals. I always point it back to say, hey, Bennett, my son's name is Bennett. I said, who, who made the animals? And he said, God did and I was like, yeah, we can thank God for making such cool animals, can't we? And, you know, and sometimes he makes a little snap remark or doesn't really quite get it. But I just, you know, I just want to do it conversationally. And, um, and again, not just relegate it to just around the dinner table or before bed, which those are important times. But even when I bring him to preschool um, on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, we, we, I pray over him or we pray together before he leaves, uh, before I drop him off. And so, um, but I, I always in my prayer, whenever I pray with and for him, um, I'm just conscious of the first words out of my mouth is, is praising God for who he is, thanking him for what he's done before I pray about or for anything in particular. Okay. You are a cool dad. Well, I'll, well, I, I'll agree to that. Let's, <laughs> well, uh, it, yeah. We'll yeah. You can ask my son. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a look at Psalm 42 and how we go yes. about praying that back to God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, one of the, the, the ways that, we we teach this in the way that I it was so been it's been so transformational for me. Um, you know I think maybe a lot of listeners are familiar with you know Jesus's model prayer or the Lord's prayer, and you know I, I grew up learning the uh, you know the words I could recite it from a very young age, but it wasn't until a little bit later on that you know Jesus wasn't telling his disciples what to pray. He said this is how you should pray. Um, which by the way a little parentheses here, I think it's really notable, uh, it's a, a powerful observation to recognize that the only question we have documented in the Gospels of Jesus' disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do anything, is that it's Jesus teach us how to, again, not walk on water, not hmm. preach, uh, not confound my enemies, um, not feed uh, a crowd a crowd with a little boy's lunchables, not raise the dead, not cast out demons. It's Jesus teach us how to pray. And um, I've said it this way, that if if we can learn to pray the way Jesus prayed, we'll have the power to live the way Jesus lived. And so really then what I think the best way to apply this is scripture-fed, spirit-led worship-based prayer, which obviously you begin with scripture, but praying after the pattern that Jesus commanded his followers to pray. So we're praying like Jesus. So really, if you take the Lord's Prayer and you can lay that over um, really as a paradigm as how you could pray through any particular passage. And for me personally, um, I went, when I first learned this and I just kind of connected the dots because I knew the what of the Lord's Prayer, but I didn't know how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, I went to the Psalms 
And Psalms is, is, the, is the prayer book, the song book uh, of the Old Testament and for the nation of Israel. And, um, and Psalm 42 in particular, um, to, to you know, get to that, um, it's a psalm of lament, which a third of the psalms are psalms of lament. And uh, so, so I think it's important to recognize that, that you know, we can pray scripture, um, uh, any scripture, even the ones that are difficult to pray. And I love the psalms. It gives the whole range of emotions and gives the language of the heart and soul to bring and express our full selves to God. So real practically, I mean, I, the, the Lord's Prayer has four rhythms. Um, and, uh, you know, Daniel teaches this as kind of an upward, downward, inward, outward and upward of reverencing God. So after the spirit of uh, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. So again, it's worship. It's recognizing who God is. And then responding to God, looking downward in the spirit of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the idea of confession of repentance, of bringing ourselves back into um, alignment with God's will, way and kingdom. And then uh, there's the inward, there's the request. So you notice where even the context of where Jesus seeks the request of give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins or trespasses and those who have sinned or trespassed against us. And then the final motion of, of outward, this idea of readiness, is this idea of um, becoming battle ready, um, being suited in the strength and the armor of God, carrying with us his promises uh, and recognizing the spiritual battle before us, but more importantly, recognizing the spiritual resources within us. Um, so that we can really put feet, put hands and feet to our prayers in the day ahead of us or whatever is surrounding us. So as we go to Psalm 42, I, I always, uh, you know, I love to just read through it and just simply highlight how does this psalm reveal to us who God is? What are his praiseworthy attributes? And so, I mean, I know for the sake of time, we've got, what, six minutes. So, I mean, we could go through this, you know, line by line, but really if you look at God's praiseworthy attributes and we see verse one, God's the satisfier of our souls. Uh, verse two, he's the living God. Um, he's present. He's approachable. He's worthy of glad shouts and songs of praise. Um, he's our hope and that repeated refrain in verses six and 11. He's our salvation. He's a God of steadfast love. Um, he's our rock and he's a God who is sovereign over our suffering. And so if we were just to look upward in reverence, um, uh, we'd like to just, you know, think through a prompt, an entry point of prayer. You know, it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. And so I just like to take a, that passage and just turn that into a prayer of reverence, a prayer of praise, and to say, Lord, my soul longs for you, or my soul pants for you, because you are. And then fill that in with who he is. Because you are the satisfier of my soul, because you are the living God, because you are present and approachable, you know, um, and, and, and so really what you're doing is just simply looking for a, a passage of scripture and then um, giving a, a, a specific, um, I, you know, word to help make it personal and applicable to your own life. So another example would be um, my soul thirsts for you for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So this idea of our soul thirsting for God, for the living God. I mean, God is the satisfier of our soul. When have you tasted the satisfaction of God? Like, when has he satisfied your soul? You can thank God. We've got to say something similar to, to, Lord, thank you for satisfying my soul when. And then what that does is that remembering refreshes God's work and his faithfulness in your life. And that engenders a greater faith and refreshes your perspective. Um, so then looking downward, 
Um, stop me at any point, by the way, Bill. I just want to no, you're you know, good, maybe Justin. give a sample. No, you... um, and so in response, so in the spirit of give us this, or, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, you know, I love that um, the honesty of this song. Two times um, here, the, the authors, the sons of Korah, these Old Testament worship leaders, admit that their soul is cast down. And uh, and I think sometimes we, you know, can kind of have this happy, clappy, you know, Christianity where everything's great and I can't be honest about my emotions before God. Um, you know, but we've talked about this on the show before, you know, uh, that we need to be honest in our prayer before God. And so um, he says, again, this idea of why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So you could say, Lord, I admit my soul is cast down about what is your soul cast down about? And then I like to follow it up with, help me to hope in you. So I'm really just personally applying that passage in prayer. Lord, mm-hmm. my soul is cast down about and help me to um, hope in you. Um, and again, that'd be one example. Um, and then moving to requests, um, you know, this idea of what does this psalm lead us or help us to pray about? Um you know, what are the certain re- relationships in your lives? What are the certain resource needs that you have? And um, and so then uh, it might be something, Lord, in my pain and distress, help me to hope in you for. Or, Lord, um, satisfy my soul's longing for. If God is truly the satisfier of our soul, um, what are you, maybe you're seeking satisfaction in other than God, and you want to say, Lord, help me to seek satisfaction in you. Um, you know, he's our, he's, God is our savior. We see that, um, verses six and seven, uh, six and 11. Um, so it might be praying for somebody else. Lord, bring your hope and salvation too. You've already confessed the ways that your soul is cast down, but what about somebody that, you know, what about a fellow believer? What about a family member? What about a neighbor? What about a coworker? And you can use this to fuel your intercession. And then lastly, you know, this idea of readiness of looking outward, um, it, it's really, I like to just, just again, take the, a, a specific passage from Psalm 42 and uh, in the spirit of lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, again, uh, it, the Psalm ends this idea, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Um, hope in God for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. You know what? So you say, Lord, help me today to have hope even when I face and then you could, what do you mean by maybe mm-hmm. facing the adversary of, the, the pain of, the obstacle of, the temptation of, um, or Lord, help me to remember your steadfast love today as I encounter. And, and so um, help me to praise you today, even though I'm going to encounter whatever it might be. And so, um, so again, it's just taking the, the spirit of the Lord's prayer and applying those principles within the particular psalm. Um, and you can do that in, in a few moments. You so, can do that over the course of an hour. Yeah, so, so good, Justin. You can go to strategicrenewal.com, and if you go to the prayer guides, you can see all of these prayer guides that Justin has talked about. Justin, thanks for being with me today. Bill, thanks so much. Our time went by so quickly. So I know, I know. Thank you for having me. Thank I you, Justin. It. Jefferson's been my guest with strategicrenewal.com. We'll take a break, come back and study the book of John with Dr. Greg Heddington. Be right back. Let's get it started. 
your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I am so looking forward to getting back into our study with Dr. Greg Heddington as we have been looking at the book of John for many, many, many weeks. And I'm excited to say that we are getting to chapter 20. We're going to cover some more of the empty tomb. And as I have been thinking about it and praying about it and looking at the gospel of John, it looks like about half of the John's gospel so far has focused on the death of Jesus Christ and this glorious resurrection and how critical the resurrection is to our faith. I think there are about 10 sermons in the book of Acts. I think there's five by Peter and five by Paul, each focus on the cross and the impact of the death of Christ. And nothing is more significant than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to continue to look at that study today with uh, Dr. Greg Hennington. He's back with us on the show. Greg, welcome. Thanks, Bill, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Are you a New Year's resolution guy or not so much? Uh, I'm trying to remember things. <laughs> that's that's my real goal. That's your resolution. See what I can remember this year. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get back into uh, chapter 20 of the book of John, and and the excitement over the resurrection is what every what should be in the heart of every Christian. That that should be one of the things we think about every day is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the foundation of our faith. That's what it's all about. I'm going to talk quite a bit about that today. Good. So if you are ready, I would say let's jump in. Okay, Bill, great. Well, welcome to our study in the Gospel of John as we briefly look at chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. I entitled this lesson, A Skeptic Believes and the Wonderful Consequences of the Resurrection. So if you happen to be taking notes, Roman number one, the plot. Hmm. Thomas, whose name is in Aramaic, means twin, is one of the original 12 apostles. However, Thomas had been with the other, had not been with the other apostles when Jesus first appeared to them, even though they continued to tell Thomas that they have seen the risen Christ. But Thomas does not take their word for it, and here are two points to be made about Thomas right at the beginning. First, the name we associate with anyone who doubts is called a doubting Thomas. But there's nothing wrong with someone having doubt about faith because doubt is, and if you want to write this down, a common companion of faith. In fact, one of the great Christian intellectuals, C.S. Lewis, says he sometimes struggled with doubts over his own faith only when he tried to explain the faith to an atheist because, after all, we have a supernatural faith. You can't put it down on paper. It's supernatural, and it's... We are moved to believe through the Holy Spirit. So I think it's very interesting and also encouraging that C.S. Lewis believes that. Well, there are several well-known people in Scripture who needed more evidence to believe. So Thomas is not that different from some of the others who are skeptical that Jesus was alive. Secondly, doubt and unbelief are very different. Doubt is a common companion of faith because most believers have had doubts about faith at one time or another. But doubt becomes sin only when it turns into unbelief. In other words, a doubter might say, I don't understand why God allowed this or that to happen. But an unbeliever takes it a step further and says, since I don't understand, I choose to live as though God does not exist. Now, that's a very different attitude and a serious spiritual condition. 
Well, we know what happens next. Thomas had demanded to see and touch the actual scars of Jesus before he would believe Jesus was alive. And, sure enough, eight days later, Jesus appears in the room with the apostles and tells Thomas, Check it out. Feel the place where the spikes were driven into my wrist and where the spear went into my side. And Thomas responds with one of the greatest declarations of faith in Jesus in all of Scripture when he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responds with this. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Now, Jesus is talking about you and me when he's saying that. Roman numeral two, further perspective on the resurrection. And that's what most of this talk will be about. The resurrection is the greatest event in history because of the implications It has for every human being who's ever lived. Now think about that. Apart from the creation of the earth, and I'm not interested in creation of other planets at this point in life, but apart from the creation of the earth, there is no event more important than the birth and resurrection of Jesus. As today, we will focus on the resurrection. Now when Jesus made his historic visit to earth, he performed, according to Scripture, about 35 miracles involving healings, miracles of nature, multiplication of food, plus the resurrection, or in other words, the temporary resuscitation of three different people from the dead. Now, they were miracles that cannot be scientifically explained, but the purpose of all of them was to show that he not only uh, had the power of God, but that he was God himself. So he could be trusted and believed and followed. It was his own resurrection that shook the world because by that point, he had fulfilled 60 major prophecies of the Old Testament about Messiah, plus 270 ramifications of those prophecies, which demonstrated that Jesus was Messiah, the Christ for whom the Jews had waited for so many centuries. Now, People around the world have always looked into the skies at night, seen the stars and the planets, and wondered, what's out there? Is there a God? And if there is, what is it or he like, and does he care about me? Now, because of Jesus, people know the answer. And today we boldly proclaim, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, which we say by faith, even though we live in a world in which for many people, seeing is believing. Now, I want to look at the difference the cross and resurrection have made on the world because ever since the fall, sin and death entered the world, and we have all been affected. Because the cross and resurrection ultimately broke those immovable chains of sin and death, which one day will be no more, those chains will be broken, Let's look at five consequences, we'll call them five alienations, that we suffer from the rebellion of our very first parents. Roman numeral three, the five alienations of the human condition. Number one, internal alienation. Scripture says Adam and Eve discovered they were naked only after their sin of disbelief and they felt shame. That's in Genesis 3 verse 7. In other words, 
they were no longer internally comfortable with who they were created to be. And so they covered their nakedness. It reminds me in a much less profound way of that great self-deprecating comment by Groucho Marx when he said, I wouldn't want to belong to a club that would have me for a member. Well, that's a little Marxian humor, which, of course, is not to be confused with Karl Marx, who never said anything that was funny. (laughs) But the point is, humans have this consequence of internal alienation. That is, they do not feel comfortable with who they were created to be. The second alienation, or consequence, we have suffered because of the sin of our first parents, is spiritual alienation. Adam and Eve hear God, quote, walking in the garden, and they try to hide from God, if you can imagine trying to hide from God. In other words, they are no longer comfortable, not just with themselves, but with God, with whom they had been unimaginably close before. This is true today when we do something for which we feel guilty or shame. We often feel uncomfortable thinking about God or worshiping the Lord or or prayer, at least for a while. And if we're believers, we know we can certainly repent and be forgiven. Roman numeral three, social alienation. Adam blames Eve for his disobedience, and this is the beginning of divisions and blaming in relationships. Along with that, another curse which occurs in marriage is when a husband begins to rule over his wife as opposed to being the scriptural loving head of the family, while the wife desires to be close to him. Or, as someone has humorously said, we all want to live in peace and harmony with each other, but short of that, we want to kill somebody. Now that would be called social alienation. Number four vocational alienation. I'll just state this in one sentence. Instead of work being joyful, as it was in the garden, it became stressful and a burden, and it is for many of us even today. And number five, physical alienation. Women have pain in childbirth, and from the day we are born, we begin to deteriorate, although we can look around and see that some bodies are deteriorating faster than others. These five alienations are evident in the human condition even to this day, and they each represent a form of death. That perfect relationship between humans and God was torn apart by the rebellious sin of Adam and Eve by not trusting God. We were banished from the garden, and it leaves a longing in the human heart to get back to the garden, to have the relationship with God that only he can fill. And that speaking about getting back to the garden, that reminds me of the words in that song entitled Woodstock by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young with the chorus that says, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Now that song referred to the 1969 concert at Woodstock, New York, which some idealistic people thought would finally bring peace and harmony to the cosmos. And like the Garden of Eden, but... <clears throat> The gods are mostly concluded with thousands of very tired and hungry people slogging through the mud to the sounds of some great rock bands, but included too many drug overdoses because no one by themselves is able to get back to the Garden of Eden. And that garden is a metaphor for a close relationship with God, and we can't do it without supernatural help. But one day, 
guess who supernaturally showed up for us? The Son of God visits the earth, and although many people look for other options, it is his death and resurrection that reverses those five alienations which were a result of sin. So now, Roman numeral four, we have the five reversals of the human condition. We need to hear good news after considering the five alienations. So first and foremost, it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that reverses the spiritual alienation. For believers to stay spiritually healthy, even though we live in a sinful world and we may feel guilty about our sin, in fact, when we confess and repent, we are forgiven. And one of my favorite hymns, written in 1830, is entitled, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Here's the lyrics. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. Now, when we trust the Lord, there is no longer guilt. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, the question for us is, are you in Christ? If you are, and ask God for it, then you are forgiven of sin and guilt when we repent, and we have union with God again. Second, the internal alienation begins to reverse. We begin to accept who we are as loved by the Lord, and then we're better able to accept others for who they are. Instead of constant anxiety about problems and feeling the need that we must always call for someone up for advice, we learn to go to the throne instead of the phone. Hmm. We, I, how are we doing, Bill? We're doing good. I think it's time just for a short break, if you're okay with that. You bet. Awesome. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're continuing our study in the book of John. We're still in chapter 20. We're covering the verses from 24 up through 29. We'll take a short break and be right back. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're continuing our great study on the book of John, and we are uh, certainly enjoying Greg's teaching. And as I go back, Greg, before we move on, I'm thinking about what we talked about in the first part of the show and 
yeah. the doubting Thomas, and of course he gets uh, labeled that forever. And you know, when you talk about doubts and faith and how those are sort of hand in hand, nobody ever criticizes anybody that wants to ask questions. And whenever right. you ask questions, you're always it's always a sign that you are curious, you want to know more. And I always think attached to questions are are a lack of understanding or a little bit of doubt. And I never see that as a bad thing. No, it's just part of it, as I was saying. It really is a common part of our faith. It's simply the doubts. And if, if C.S. Lewis says that he never doubted more than when he was trying to talk to somebody who's an atheist, I, I feel like we're in good company. <laughs> I do, too. If he struggles with it, then it's okay that we have our little issues as well. I think so. Yeah. All right, maybe we can uh, pick up where we left off. Sure, and let me just say what we're talking about. We've talked about or looked at the five alienations of the human condition ever since the fall. We've talked about internal alienation. We've talked about spiritual alienation. We've talked about social alienation. We've talked about vocational alienation. And we've talked about physical alienations. That's really kind of the bad part of it. But now we get to the better part, which is what the, res- the cross and the resurrection have done for reversal of those things. And we were just beginning to talk about the second internal uh, alienation, um, which begins to reverse. Uh, it's internal. So we begin to accept who we are as loved by God, and then we're able to accept others for who they are. And that's really important. It's difficult to accept others who, for who they are when we can't even accept ourselves. So instead of constant anxiety about problems and feeling the need that we must always call someone up for advice, learn to go to the throne instead of the phone. I know I I just mentioned that a little bit earlier before the break. But we understand that for those who love God, all things ultimately work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, verse 28. Third, Social alienation begins to reverse. The more we understand that we are forgiven for our numerous sins, the better we're able to forgive others. Now, this is a crucial issue in life. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of those verses I've just got. I've, we need to have it memorized because it's it's the truth from Scripture about what happens and what has happened because of the crucifixion. This process of forgiveness began immediately in the first century as the hostilities between Jewish believers and Gentile believers began to lessen it, and it can happen for us as well. By forgiving long-held hostility toward others and realizing that God's forgiveness of our sin overrides any sin that anyone else has ever committed toward us, That goes a long way. Now, I realize that forgiveness of other people takes a lot of swallowing of pride, and pride is sometimes pretty tough to get down the throat. But that's a big part about what it's about when we remember all the things God has forgiven us for because of Jesus. Fourth, vocational alienation begins to reverse. As we view life as more than just making money or chasing happiness, We begin to see our daily job, our work, as a way to honor God with what he's called us to do. Work is good, and God honors it as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or fattening, as someone has said. (laughs) Work has never been easy since the fall for most of us, 
And from what we understand from some theologians, there will be probably some kind of work to do in heaven. But it will not be toil. It will be a joy. Imagine that, just working effortlessly. And as for the work we do now, Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The fifth and last alienation that begins to reverse is physical alienation. Jesus promises that when he returns, we will have a total reversal of our physical degeneration. And some of us, I said, have degenerated faster than others. In fact, we will acquire new bodies. And I've had people ask, well, what about people who have been uh, burned or terribly uh, mutilated in, in wrecks? Friends, we'll have a new body. We will have a new body, and it will be a better and improved body. In Scripture, God promises his people a new heaven and a new earth, and we will have new bodies. And uh, the new body, the new earth and the new heaven are in Revelations 21, verse 1, as well as, if you're taking more notes, Isaiah 65, verse 17, and Isaiah 66, verse 22. In Revelation 21, verses 4 to 5, Jesus says this, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain or sorrow. Death will be no more, and he will make all things new. This also means we'll have new and improved bodies, as I mentioned, instead of our present ones that have experienced uh, the consequences of sin and death. Although a lot of us spend a lot of time working out and exercise, but believe it or not, it's going to be even better than that one day. The bottom line is that it's all about the resurrection and always has been we do not have a faith based on a jesus who is simply a kind and wonderful teacher who tragically was executed unjustly no our faith is based on the reality of jesus who lived died and came back to live forever as the son of god who also gives us that promise of eternal life to his followers and of course let's not forget the fact He is our perfect model, one who never sinned, even though we know we do sin. It's that truth which gives us much to celebrate. So in conclusion, the goal of John's gospel is always evangelistic. He wants people to understand the truth about Jesus and to know that he is the Son of God by faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God and not because of works, lest anyone should boast. That's probably my favorite verses, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Mm. So uh, one more thing, Bill. Uh, The end is that a person will experience the new life, this transformation, which is supernatural, which we read about in the gospel, so that we will walk in step with the Spirit every day. And so our challenge today is, will we continue to believe And trust the Lord daily, because, as Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So good, Greg. And when we talk about the resurrection power, I always gravitate to Ephesians chapter 1. And if I can read a couple of verses here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable 
incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Amen. That is the power that is alive in us. Mm. And that is uh, such a happy way to end this time. Yes, it is. Bill, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us through the Holy Spirit, and there's nothing better to know than that. No, Amen. Well, Greg, thank you so much for our study. We've got another chapter. We've got 21 to go, and then I'm looking forward to what you have next for us. Me too. Good. Have a great rest of the day, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest as we study the book of John. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.